Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. Welcome back, everybody. As I was thinking about today's episode, I was thinking that I haven't spent a lot of time talking about what do you do in the very, very beginning of the process. A lot of the things that I talk about are being able to build the relationship and resolve the the addiction and work through the trauma. I think there's different things that you do at different stages. And so I was thinking today I'd, I'd share with you some thoughts about what do you do if you just barely found out within the last few months or even more recently about the addiction, if that's come to light whether it's her who just barely discovered it or whether it's him that's just talking about it for the first time, which then makes it so that she's discovering it for the first time. I want to give you some pointers or some things that you can consider as you try to figure out what to do and how to move forward. It can be such an overwhelming process and especially feeling like, I I think one of the things that most people struggle with is the fact that they just feel so alone. And this is such a, a difficult thing for many people to talk about and they feel like they're suffering by themselves. And before they tell anybody, they just think, this is me. This is my life. Nobody else understands this. There's hardly anybody else that are they're going through this. But the reality is this is such a common issue, especially in our day and age where pornography is just like, it's everywhere. It's so accessible. You know, within the click of a button, you have access to it. And it's it's something that many, many people struggle with, but most people have a hard time talking about it. So I think because people feel so alone, it can just make them feel like they have no idea what to do and they feel hopeless. So I want to provide some direction as far as what you guys can do in the beginning of the process. And for those of you who are further along, you can, again, as you listen, make sure that you guys are addressing each of these pieces uh, wherever you are in the process. Because I think once you have all of what you need to focus on and then you move in that right direction, a lot of it is implementation. A lot of it is just muscle memory and repetition. So I just want to share with you some of these things that I think are most helpful, and especially in the beginning stages. And so let's say that somebody just reveals or it is discovered that there's been an addiction that's been happening for a while. I guess the time element isn't so relevant. It's just when this is discovered, what do you do first? Now, I think one of the first things that can be so helpful is getting information and information in two specific ways. Number one, we want to get information about what is the scope of this problem? How often has this been happening? How long has this been happening? What does, what are, not that you have to go into every single nitty gritty detail about all the specifics of what somebody's watching as much as what is the scope of the problem? How long has this been affecting the relationship? What impact has it had on him And getting an understanding of to what extent has this been affecting his life and affecting the relationship. So often when an addiction is first discovered, the husband will say that whatever information that the wife finds, that that's about it. There's nothing else beyond that. If she says, I found this stuff on your phone, you were searching these browsers, a lot of times what I'll find in the beginning stages as I work with people is they do what's called a staggered disclosure. So what that means is whatever is discovered is then the wife is told, this is all that there is. You know, this doesn't happen very often. It only happens once in a while. 
this isn't that big of a deal. It's not a big problem. And they'll admit to as much as they're found out. I don't think I said that right. They'll admit to as they'll, they'll take accountability for the things that the wife then knows. Hey, I saw that you were texting this person. You're right. I was texting that person. But if there was more, oftentimes in the beginning, they don't reveal that. And so I want to speak this part of this now because I've had experiences working with people in the past where even the the the, uh, the husband will tell me like this is everything. I really I've told her everything. There's nothing new, and then it comes out that there is other things that he hasn't shared. And if if I could, if there was one thing that is going to completely devastate and destroy trust more than anything else, it's a staggered disclosure. The reason why that's the case is because. Once the husband says, this is it, and then she finds out there's more, and then especially if that happens multiple times, now he's made it so she can't believe anything that he says. And it's not intentional, right? He's not trying to make it so she doesn't believe anything, but that is absolutely the effect. Where if he says, this is it, and then it's not, and then he says, okay, this is really it, and then it's not. So I would guess that a lot of you who are listening, you might have had this experience And I think it's rooted in fear, honestly, for the husbands that I work with. They're terrified of sharing everything and and for a couple of reasons. Number one, the fear is that if they share, they're really struggling with this problem and the extent to which they've struggled with it and for however long it's been happening. The fear is that their wife isn't going to, that their wife is going to reject them, that they're not going to want to be with them that they won't be willing to work on things with them, that it will just end the relationship. And so in an attempt to protect the relationship and make it so she doesn't leave, he then conceals other things that have happened. Because if he thinks, okay, she found out about this, so okay, I'll I'll admit to this. But really, if there's more, he doesn't want to share that because he doesn't want to crush his chances of things being turned around. I cannot emphasize enough that the complete opposite effect happens when a husband does that. And so if you're listening to this and you're a husband who has not fully disclosed the extent to which things are happening and you're in this process of doing a staggered disclosure, I can promise you that the path to healing and the doorway to healing opens up when you are fully honest and transparent about what's happened. And even better yet is when she doesn't have to interrogate or ask questions or be a detective and find it out for herself, and then you acknowledge it. If you can take ownership and have a conversation with her and say, listen, I've been making steps, I've been opening up, and I've been telling you more about what's going on. I just want to tell you everything that's there, if there is other things that he hasn't shared. And of course, it's like not a fun conversation to have for either one of you. But by doing this and being completely open and transparent and revealing whatever it is that's happened in the past, it will allow a space for healing. And the door, if there is a possibility of healing, it will come through that doorway. And again, I get that there's fears and concerns around that idea of like, well, if I do tell her, she's going to leave. Most, most, most people that I've spoken with or worked with 
And if the relationship doesn't end up working out, it's because of the lies and the dishonesty, not because he chooses to reveal everything. And so I wanted to start off by saying seeking information is so critical about the addiction, getting an understanding and a scope of that as far as as it's affected him and the relationship. And then secondly, seeking information about addiction in general, because if you don't understand it, then you can't effectively treat it. So if, if neither of you understand why it's been happening in the first place, and you don't understand why there's been dishonesty about it, then it's very, very difficult to do anything productive, right? It's like, I think about one thing that I'll say about addiction, which I've referenced this multiple times, but it's worth repeating. Addiction is simply a symptom. It's a symptom of a deeper problem. And there's a reason why the addiction is there. It's again, a way to cope with pain. And so figuring out what is driving the pain underneath the surface, because once you're clear about that, then the path becomes clear in terms of what the next steps are. So the more you can understand addiction in general, it helps both people. It helps him to know what steps to take. It helps her to know that this actually has nothing to do with her. This isn't her fault. She didn't cause this. And no matter what she does, she can't take this from him. She can't fix it on his behalf because it doesn't have anything to do with her. 98% of the people that I've ever spoken with, ever, this addiction has happened long before the husband and the wife even meet. And so this has been just a process that's been going on for a long, long time. So the more she understands about addiction and why it happens and the path forward, she then can feel much more centered in the process because a big part of what I think can make it very difficult for women is when they take it on themselves and they think it's their fault. And they think it's because they're not good enough or pretty enough or do things enough sexually or they're not they don't capture his interest enough or whatever this, the, the false beliefs are that she has around why he's acting out, the more she truly understands addiction, the more she can feel centered knowing this isn't about her and it makes it so much easier for her to heal. The next thing that I think is so important is getting support. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I think so many people feel completely alone in this. And there have been some people that I've worked with who tell me that they literally have nobody in their life that they can talk to. And in the beginning, I wonder if that's true or if they just feel like there's nobody that they can talk to because it's so embarrassing or shameful or scary for them or whatever feelings making it hard. If they literally have nobody to talk to and their family is toxic and they don't have any friends that they can trust with this, then one of the things that I think can be helpful is this is where I think reaching out to uh, whether it's a group, getting a group of, of, of people who are in a similar situation that can help support you or meeting with a therapist because that's somebody that you're able to talk to and you can share without any judgment or fear or concern about the ramifications or finding somebody that you truly can open up to, even if it's only one person. Some people choose to tell family. Some people choose not to tell family. There's no right or wrong. I think the, the, the thing that you can consider as you're figuring out who you can talk to is picking somebody who has your best interest at heart and who's on your side and the side of the relationship if you're choosing to move forward because you don't want to share with somebody who's going to tell you what to do. 
or shame you for your decision. Let's say you, you open up to a friend and they're like, well, you should definitely leave. There's no way you should stay with him. Now there's this pressure of like, oh, well, do I keep telling my friend all this stuff and then she's going to keep telling me to leave? Or if it's the husband that's reaching out, okay, do I keep telling my friend and he's just like being really hard on me and he's not understanding, he's not supporting. You want to find somebody that you know is going to support your choices and your decisions, whatever they may be. And somebody who can encourage you and just give you a safe place to talk and process through things. And so finding support is so critical. I met with somebody not too long ago recently, uh, and they said that they did decide to tell family. And that was one of the scariest things that he had ever done because of his fears, his false beliefs. And he calls them false now, but back before he shared, he said, my belief is that if I open up and told close friends or family, they would reject me and they would be uh, they, they would they would cut me out of their life. They wouldn't support me, and then I'd I'd have no place with them anymore. He told me that it was such a transformative experience for him when he shared with his family, because the ap- absolutely the opposite thing happened. They were so supportive and they were so accepting, and they were encouraging, and they helped him know that he was not alone and that they were going to be there and support him and and encourage him and and help him in any way that they could. That one single experience was so transformative for him that it changed his belief. In an instant, it changed his belief because what he thought was going to happen, the opposite happened. And then he said, as a result, not only is his, he and his family growing closer, but there's so much relief that comes from getting support because being alone and struggling with a challenge is not how we are designed as people. There's so much research that talks about So this goes back to attachment theory is what they call it, which is basically four decades of research, study after study, that proves we are relationally driven. It's in our DNA to seek somebody else to process through what's going on. We're very social creatures. And so when we're dealing with an issue and we isolate, then the brain has to figure out how to deal with the issue while they're dealing with it by themselves. So in other words, you're already dealing with a difficult problem. Now, another problem is the brain has to figure out how do I how do I do this alone? Because it has to take it takes more resources and energy for the brain to self-regulate than it does to regulate with another person. And you see this of course very clearly with infants, with kids and parents. If a, 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 if a parent were to go over to a child and hold the child and soothe the child and comfort the child, very, very, very quickly, the child calms down. But if the child is left to his own devices and cries and is overwhelmed, and, and I'm not talking like temper tantrums, that's different. I'm talking like if there's legitimate fears, if the child is scared or if the child is hurt, it takes much longer for the baby to self-soothe than it does to relationally soothe. And that's just how we're wired as people. So we want to align with that instead of saying, well, I'm just going to do this on my own. You're, you're, you're then adding another problem for the brain to solve. It's how do I do this on my own? It's not, it's not designed for that. So seeking support is the next thing that's, that's such a crucial element in this process. The next few things that I want to share is number one, it kind of goes along with getting information, but Once you understand the core of addiction and why it's happening, 
then it's a matter of taking the steps necessary to resolve it. Now, there are previous episodes that I've done that talk all about the core of addiction, so I would invite you to go back and listen to those. But the more you can identify what it is for you, and for most people, it's very, very similar, and there's different nuances. That's why talking with somebody and getting outside help can can be so helpful because you can spend time in session going through, like when I work with people, my, my initial session is let's get to the bottom of why this is happening. And so solving that problem after you've discovered what the core of it is, is such a critical element. And you can do this early, early on in the process. It doesn't have to take years of talk therapy to just talk about, kind of just talk about the issue. The goal is to get in there and resolve the issue. And so discovering what that core piece is, and then going back and making sure that you have the tools and the ability and the direction that you need to solve it and putting those things in place is what's tremendously important. The next thing is just that it's getting the new tools and skills. And one of the reasons why I think it's so helpful, it's like such a shortcut when people reach out for help, because if they are struggling with addiction, that, that inherently means they don't know how to do something differently. It inherently means they don't have the tools to deal with what's going on or else there wouldn't be an addiction. An addiction is just a symptom, again, of not knowing how to manage your emotions in a healthy way and not knowing how to deal with the core issues in a healthy way. And so as a result of that, you found an unhealthy way to cope. And so shortcutting that process to know exactly what the problem is and then what tools that you need to to have in place and the skills, that's going to be the next part of the process. And so just as a high-level overview, what, what does that look like? What are the tools and what are the skills? I think number one, a, a massively important tool and skill is to to understand and break through these negative beliefs that you have about yourself. And we all have them on some level. What I mean by that specifically is a lot of people that I work with, the, their initial belief is something negative about themselves, like I'm unworthy or I'm not good enough or I'm a failure or some variation of that. And the more, and, and I guess another word for that is shame. Shame is a negative belief about ourselves, And there's there's different types of beliefs, like I, the ones that I just mentioned. So getting the tools and the skills that you need to break these beliefs down by first understanding them and then starting to challenge them and find other ways to look at yourself. Again, so often we narrowly define, like I was working with somebody recently and he said that for him, a big part of what causes him to slip is the stress around work. Stress is a very high level feeling. It's so vague. And so whenever I hear that, I then want to go deeper into that. And so as we did that, he talks to me about how um, he'll compare himself to other people who make more money. As a result of that, he starts to feel like he's less than and like he's failing his family and he's not good enough. And then it it, it, we were able to discover that he equates money and these external accomplishments, he equates those things with worth. And because he equates worth with money or accolades or these external things, he's constantly finding himself suffering with just like this overwhelming feeling of inadequacy Because, of course, there's always going to be somebody next to you that's making more money or has the next award or has a nicer car. Like, there's no, 
nobody's at the top, right? Oh, I guess you could say, well, Jeff Bezos is at the top, but you know what I mean? Like there's always somebody who looks better, who runs faster, who has this thing. So if you link your worth to some external thing, you're always going to find yourself feeling like it's never enough. And so after we discovered that that was the belief that was driving it, we started to challenge that and redefine what it means to be enough and redefine where value even comes from. And as we talked about it, he's saying like, yes, value doesn't come from stuff. I asked him, well, did you have any value before you had a job? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, where did that come from? Because you weren't working at the time. You weren't making any money. So where did your value come before you ever made money? And then we start to have a different discussion. So being able to open up and redefine what it means to, whether it's be enough or be worthy or what money means or what looks mean or what sex means. Sometimes I work with people where they say sex equals love. And um, when I get attention from other people, I feel validated. Well, the reality is that there's no no amount of attention from somebody else can make you, it can give you more value. Value isn't reliant on somebody else's perception of you. And a lot of people understand that intellectually. But the goal is, again, as I just kind of give a couple of examples just to get your mind thinking in this direction, the goal is to identify what are these key beliefs for you and then starting to challenge and redefine and break those down. Those are some of the most important skills because then you can apply that to any situation, right? It's it, it, When it becomes less personal, you're able to work through various challenges in life by seeing things differently, by challenging them and being able to manage how you feel in a healthier way. So getting those new tools and skills are a, a crucial thing. And this is true for both him and her. So I'm not even talking about the addiction specifically. Well, well yes, I am about that. And this applies to uh, in every single way, it applies to her as well. So new tools and skills to see herself differently and challenge these negative beliefs that are that are happening for her and what the addiction and the, the discovery of the addiction causes her to think about herself. It often redefines her value and what she, it, when I say redefines her value, meaning her perception of her value, it really has nothing to do with her value at all. But if that experience is such a traumatic and betraying experience, it will redefine things for her oftentimes. So being able to get clear about how starting to change those beliefs into something that are more healthy and developing the skills to manage those feelings in a different way, in a way that does resolve them, that that's the next step of that as well. And so um, I guess that was the following thing that I wanted to say is healing the betrayal, right? So working through it, those kinds of things can help with centering and to feel more grounded. And then in terms of working through the betrayal, he can play a massive influence in the process of her healing. So what does that look like? I think it includes transparency. I think it includes honesty and accountability and him trying to create safety and rebuilding trust. And those things can be done all in tandem with one another by having conversations together, by sharing vulnerably, by him letting her in, by him supporting her and, and caring for her in her pain and giving her a space to talk and just trying to be there and understand. All of those things help to create a sense of 
healing and connection in the relationship so the trauma actually does heal. This isn't something that you have to deal with for the rest of your life. I know many, many people have been dealing with this for decades, and the reason is because it's just not being resolved. And so once you resolve the core of this and you really truly, you really actually do heal from it, this is not something that follows you around forever because you can create closure and put this behind you in a way that it's actually resolved. The other thing that I would include is um, the last couple of things, piece by piece, you then just work through the blocks. And then a part of it, again, you're dealing with addiction stuff and trauma stuff, but another part of it is just relationship stuff that every couple has to deal with. Every couple needs to learn how to come together and repair damage that happens and learn how to heal hurts and forgive and connect and improve their sexual relationship. Like this is every relationship that people have to make progress in many of these areas. And so while yes, you're dealing with addiction and trauma and the effect that that causes, it, it, it I think that just kind of amplifies these other areas that most people struggle in. And so piece by piece, you're just going through and resolving things that come up, learning how to come back together and talk through things in a way that creates closure so that you can deal with family challenges and parenting challenges and financial and you know any other issue that comes up for any other couple, learning those skills is a part of the process as well. And so I think as couples are, this is this overview that I wanted to provide with these handful of things, just to recap them very briefly, getting information about the addiction and the effect that it's been having in the relationship. Number two, understanding addiction in terms of what causes it, right? How does, how long has it been happening? What's been going on with the addiction in your relationship specifically? Number two, getting understanding about addiction in general. Number three, getting support. Number four, addressing the core of addiction and trauma. Number five, getting new tools and skills to deal with that. Number six, focusing on healing the betrayal and healing the relationship. And then piece by piece, you're just working through the things that continue to create distance in the relationship or feel off or create problems or pain. Again, this is more general couples work um, that often is just, it gets all kind of mixed up with the addiction work as well. But you can you can work through each of these pieces. Um, you can work through each of these pieces to be able to find a resolution, which then just keeps helping you to level up individually and in the relationship. So you can finally, uh, I don't even want to say finally, because that implies like you have to do all this stuff before you have good moments. And that's not true. I think for people to consistently find themselves in a place of feeling like, Hey, we're good. We've done a lot of work and I feel close to you. You feel close to me. I can trust you. I can open up. I can let you in. I think when couples can get to that place where they feel like that's just kind of the norm where you have consistent good moments and a handful of moments that throw you off instead of the opposite, where instead of constantly being disconnected and not having any trust or safety, but then having a couple good moments, like that's where it begins for most people. And so the more you follow this kind of outline, and again, there's there's other things that I guess we can include underneath this, but I wanted to at least give you a high level overview. When all this comes out, what are your next steps? I think putting these things in place can give you the direction that you need and get you started. And then as you move forward, things will kind of emerge and then you can process them as they do. So I know this process can be super overwhelming and 
I hope that you're getting the resources and the tools in the direction that you need, whether it's from this podcast or, or other resources and places, but please know that you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone at all. And I know that for many people, they feel like that's exactly what's happening. And so being able to reach out and get help and get direction and get somebody to support you and work with you can be such a shortcut. So you don't have to figure this out on your own and spin your wheels. So I at least wanted to provide this overview and hope that this helps people who are listening. And, um, give you some steps that you can focus on. So what I would say for this week is think about where you are in the process, which one of these things might need attention and then taking the steps necessary to give it the attention that it needs. So you can then get the benefit of what it feels like to have the next piece in place. So I uh, look forward to speaking with you guys next week. And I hope that this week goes well for you as you try to put this into practice. practice. All right, take care. Wait, before you go, I'm offering free access for my podcast listeners to a course I created. So make sure you go to coupleshealing.org so you can get some tools to start the healing process individually and in your relationship. Or if you want even more support and you'd like to work with me directly, you can contact me with the info that's on that website as well. I'm excited for you to make progress on your journey.